Welcome, everybody, to the NCAA Baseball Regional Tournament edition of Breaking Down the Doors. I am Tommy Dees. I am your fill-in host today. And, of course, Adam Sparks is here to talk about the Commodores of Vanderbilt. It's postseason time. Yes, it is. Long time coming, but it's here. Vandy's used to it. You know, Vandy just won just a few days ago, won the SEC tournament. First time since 2007, SEC has, has had a team sweep the regular season and the tournament titles. Uh, Vandy won 11-10 over Ole Miss. Heck of a comeback in that game. Walk-off win. Philip Clark, a local guy, had the game-winning hit. And uh, now they go into the regionals. Just a shade under five hours. Looks like you'd like for a baseball game. <laughs> yeah, today. you know, when you get home at 1 a.m. from Hoover, it's <laughs> you know, it's been a long, long week. But a good week, that means it's a good week for Vandy. And so they head into the regionals now. Vandy will host the regionals. Uh, it's the 14th straight year they've been in the regionals. Uh, as host, they'll bring in Ohio State, which they'll play in the opener. Also, Indiana State and McNeese. And so I had a conversation the other day with Tim Corbin. People here love hearing... From Corbs and so, baseball coach. If you're like somebody who just stumbled across this podcast accidentally, if if so, we welcome you, uh, Tim, Tim. Tim Corbin, write that down. Vanderbilt baseball coach. Yeah. So I, I talked to Tim Corbin the other day a little bit about that walk off win, his reaction to it, uh, but then also kind of how this team was built in terms of personality and personnel. And we just got into a few other things. Here's my conversation with uh, Vanderbilt baseball coach Tim Corbin. First off, congratulations. Thank you. Getting back to a regional, I think, 14 years in a row. I, I noticed something at the uh, the walk-off win SEC mm-hmm. tournament that you kind of laid back. At one point, you sat in the dugout and kind of watched the celebration. Mm-hmm. You've done that before. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even at the national championship 2014, you seem mm-hmm. to observe more than participate in the celebration. What's going mm-hmm. through your mind when you do that? Oh, uh, more or less just watching them celebrate I think that's I just want to see it I, I don't want to get in, involved in the in the fray um, and not just the fray of the kids but just the fray of the situation I think it's easier when you just sit back and the only thing I don't like about it is sometimes you bring attention to yourself by doing that and that's that's really not my my focus my focus is them because it it's very enjoyable to watch guys celebrate I think you you do this for a while, your most enjoyable moments are, are watching them smile and laugh and jump around because it's, it's sheer happiness. So um, it's very simple for me, and that's what I enjoy doing. But um, you know, I certainly don't want to bring attention to that situation because the attention is on the kids. When you mentioned after that game, the SEC championship, that there were so many memories you kind of wanted to take in. Mm-hmm. At the end of the season, do you look back at – games like that or are you just relying on mental pictures for those memories yeah I think that's the part I try to impress upon the kids too is yeah the phone can give you a lot of nice pictures but very seldom I you know of all the times I've used a phone to take a picture very seldom do I go back but you always go back to memory and you always go back to what you saw and I think that to me is, is are the most vivid pictures because they what they do is they bring emotion there's only so much emotion you can get from a picture unless it's usually the of a lost one but when I, when I see things like that you're moved to motion based on what you see and how you feel at that moment and that those are the things I get from the, the visual memories I sense a lot of lack of ego on this team mm-hmm. uh, and I've made the case throughout the year that I think a lot of that comes down to the seniors mm-hmm. you've got a Patrick Raby who holds the record in career wins, but he's your Sunday guy, your Friday guy, and he's fine with that. 
Julian Infante used to be clean up hitter. He's in the nine hole, and he's fine with that. Is there something to that that the seniors have taken on more humble roles and that's resonated maybe with the rest of the younger guys? I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, there's 0% ego, and that, that's tough to find on a team because when you have that, you create these foundational cracks that can end up ruining your team as it gets through the season. But I, I look at guys like Ravy. I look at guys like Rosanti. I look at guys like Fentress. I look at guys like Julian. They, they just are immersed in, in the, the team team's effort, and their role is to, to serve the team in the best way that they possibly can. And that takes a lot of time, Adam. I, I just think that, you know, through the year when you start in August, you have to move conversations into that lane because it's going to happen, and you want to set them up for that. So when it gets to that point, they're not torn down with the – the thought of I'm not going to play or what am I doing or how am I helping the team and and frankly if you have that type of personality you have to correct it because it's only going to help that young man if you correct his personality and if it doesn't then he he probably has to move forward because this isn't the experience or the environment that you want to be in they all have a as we talked to him about a, a contained selfishness that they need in order to be good and in order to drive themselves. But at the same time, when it gets down to it, it's for the betterment of the group and the team. I know you don't like to compare past teams to a current team, but when I look at the pitching staff, in the past sometimes you've had that top ten pick, mm-hmm. Carson Fulmer, David Price, uh, Kyle Wright on down the list. This year I don't know if you have that guy, at least immediately, maybe Kumar is, but you've got – it seems like your number one – and your number four are almost the same guy. Do you see more balance out of this pitching rotation maybe than some other years? I do, um, and that's good. I think balance in, in pitching is good, it, it, and we, we've talked about that with them too. It doesn't really matter who pitches on Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It may to you internally, but you know, trying to be this so-called Friday night guy, it doesn't really hold any water. It's, you know, If you're in that spot, it's because you fit best in order for us to have an opportunity to win. And with Drake, Drake has sat in that role for a while, but at the same time he could pitch on Saturday. But it's really lining your guys up to be the most competitive guys that they can be against the opponents. And I think that's how I look at them. They're all competitive. I mean, Kumar and Drake and and then the development of your, your bullpen as well. Um, I don't know if you'd say this guy stands out or this guy stands out. No, we're, we're, we're better when we're a whole than we are just a single part. Um, but, you know, the, the, the staff keeps developing. I mean, Tyler Brown's work is that of a field goal kicker. His ability to center himself and kick the ball through the outrights, uprights time and time and time again is, to, to me, for this wrestler, this emotional burst of energy who can contain that energy inside of that moment, it's just he's done such a nice job of that. When I look back at recruiting classes, you had a run there of, number one, number two recruiting class in the country for a number of years. Mm-hmm. The exception was the 2016 class, yeah. and it's because you lost so many guys in the draft. Yeah. Well, now fast forward now, and that class with Drake, with J.J. Blade, that's the class now that's, that's led you this season, a lot of this season. Um, did you see that coming when you look back at that, at that class and how many guys that you lost out of that group? Yeah. Um, because the guys you lose out of that group, sometimes you focus on them and say, we lost them, what are you going to do without them? But 
I don't anymore. I mean, I get to that point, go, okay, that they become a who, you know, who are they? Because they're gone. They're, they're not relevant anymore inside your organization. Good people, but they made another decision. But I, I don't know, you know, looking at Drake, we thought Drake was going to be a pretty good pitcher. We thought JJ was going to be a good player. How they evolve and how they progress, you, you just don't know. So much of this is based on their, their mental fibers. You know, it's their ability just to adjust mentally. And uh, that's, that's, that's what JJ has been able to do. And even Drake. Drake is such just a good internal competitor. Um, but in a lot of ways, those two guys you just mentioned right there, they've, they've led our team. You know, they've led our team a lot of different ways, on the mound, on a Friday night, and certainly offensively and defensively in J.J.'s case. How did you adjust after that 2016 recruiting class to, to make sure you never lost that many again? Well, the adjustment, you know, it, the thing about that you mentioned 16 is the – it's, it's probably been the most, uh, it, 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 we have, we've had a revolving group of coaches during that time, and, and not bad, it's just we've had coaches that have moved on to other opportunities, so there was an adjustment period of kind of stabilizing the coaching staff first. Once we stabilized the coaching staff, then it, in a lot of ways, it created harmony inside of the organization because... You know, I look at Ethan and Julian. They had been, for a time, three years, three different hitting coaches. Well, kids get over that. You might have three quarterback coaches in your time. But at the same time, there was there was a lot of, I'm not going to say turmoil, because there wasn't, but it was just a lot of different bodies coming in and out. So I think the fact that Bax and Mass came in, what it's enabled us to do is really focus in on the type of personality it takes to be at Vanderbilt and not create recruiting mistakes that we've had, not to say mistakes, but choices that we've made that haven't allowed those kids to be on campus. And I think Mike and Brownie, because they're on the road, they do a very nice job of kind of pinpointing that kid and say, this might not be this most skilled player but this is the kid that fits for Vanderbilt because I played here I know what it looks like and I know how it plays out last thing uh, just looking at this postseason you know if you look in the past you've had really highly ranked teams that have gotten put out early Mm -hmm. in the NCAAs you've had a team like the 2014 team is barely in the top 25 and wins the whole thing it's it's unpredictable I guess is what I'm saying why is it unpredictable Mm. Well, I think first off, the teams that are in there, you know, you get these teams that like Cal State Santa Barbara, we didn't play them, but they just just went on this tear and they got in like Fresno State when they won the national championship. You just have these teams that have a surge of energy once they get in. And if you happen to be in the same bracket as that team, sometimes it becomes very problematic. But I think at the root of it, it, it's really how your kids handle the situation once the regular season and the tournament are over. 2014, as you mentioned, we limped in. 2015, we rolled in. And we were a very strong unit, but the kids had a tremendous sense of confidence, but yet it was contained. They knew that they didn't get out of balance with it. I I think uh, this group is is similar in some ways to 2015 in terms of their confidence. It's good, it's in there, but yet at the same time, they're, they're not... They're not out of balance. They, they don't get to the field and go, it's just going to happen because we've already done it. They will create another situation for themselves. And if we're going to get beaten, someone's going to have to beat us because I, I just I feel confident in their maturity 
and how they approach the day and it's almost you know as 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 a coach you can you can go to them knowing that you're going to get their best you're going to get their mental best they're never going to put themselves in a predicament of not being mentally prepared for something because they allowed that to happen they're going to take care of it before it gets to the field and once they get on the field like they did yesterday so um you know for that uh we're, we're fortunate to have guys like that tim again thanks for the time and good luck in the postseason thank you adam Tim Corbin, always a really good interview. Uh, really, I really like how candid he is in talking about kind of the feel of games. And the so if they had lost that game, that would have been about an eight-second clip, right? Yeah, he is. Uh, Corbs is uh, Corbs is one of the worst losers, I think, in college athletics, in any athletics. And so I, I don't think, yeah, a few days later, he still wouldn't have been over that. Yeah, and a lot of great coaches that I've been around, including Nick Saban, you know, who covered when I was in Alabama, hate losing probably more than they like winning. Yes, I think all the great coaches are probably in that category. And, and Saban would be amazing. You could mention a game like in 2007, and he could tell you what happened on third and 10 when they didn't get off the field that allowed the other team to. Yep. And he, I mean, he remembers that 10 years later or yep. whatever. It's the same. It's the same. I think regardless of the sport, you have those type of guys that they're elite coaches. They tend to react in that same way. You know, for Vandy this week, and I got into it a little bit with uh, with Corbs there. You know, it's so unpredictable the postseason. And you know, if you look back at, uh, well, let me say this: so many people have asked me this week, how could they not go to Omaha? How could they not go to the College World Series? Well, there's a lot of ways they could not go. You know, usually it's assumed that teams like this go. A lot of them don't. If you look back at the 2007 team. It was the David Price team. It, it was a really good team. It was an Omaha-type team. Didn't get out of the regional. 2013, statistically, that was the best in SEC history. 26-3, and three, best conference record any SEC team's ever had. They didn't get out of the Supers. So neither of those teams went there. Now, if you look at the next year, 2014, when Vandy won the national title, they were, and I've said it on here before, they were seventh in the SEC. They were, I think, number 22 in the country, and they went all the way and won the whole thing. So it's Which means somebody else who thought they should have been going right. to Omaha didn't go, and Vandy... That's took, right. There are yeah, Vandy cin- drank their milkshake. There are Cinderella runs, and there are upsets in this tournament, and so it can happen. And so I think the the question of can will Vandy make it or can they make it? I think the better question right now going into the regionals is what would keep Vandy from making it? Yeah. Let me, let me interrupt you because there's sure. something, something you wrote last week that I, I found to be interesting. And, and you hear coaches say it, but I think you, you went a little deeper into it. It's, it's harder to win the SEC tournament, really, than it is to win a regional. Yeah. and people, more teams. There's more ranked teams. Yes, and I mean, if you think about okay, well, let's just look at let's just look at the regional. I mean, Ohio State, Indiana State, McNeese, three good teams, pretty good programs. Uh, they would be. I'm not going to say they would be the bottom three in the SEC, but they'd be pretty close to the bottom in the SEC. I mean, Tennessee is better than all three of those, and Tennessee was like ninth or tenth in the conference. Right. Uh, Florida is better than all those. Right. Florida and, was and, the bottom third this year of the conference. And even if you stay in the winner's bracket like like Vandy did through Hoover this year, you're using up more pitchers along the way than you would use in a regional unless things go really bad for you. Yeah, Hoover is just – it's so, so hard. There's just such a grind. And in the postseason in the NCAA, especially in the in the regionals but also in the Supers, if you have a deep pitching staff and you have a talented pitching staff – 
you know the other team probably doesn't have that. In the SEC, you know every team also has that, and that's what makes it so difficult. You know, Vandy, Vandy obviously has the talent to go to Omaha, uh, not just in pitching, but probably even more so in their lineup. It's a really, really deep lineup. But what could keep them from going? Uh, I, I think we saw a little bit of a hint at it in the SEC championship game. Patrick Raby is the winningest pitcher in Vanderbilt history, 31 career wins, senior. Uh, he imploded in that game. I mean, he had never had a start like that, give up what I think it was six runs, four walks, couldn't find the play. Yeah, they're down nine to one. And it's, Just like that. There's people like packing up. Yeah. And, you know, nine times out of ten, you don't come back and win that game. Right. If Not to say that that'll happen to Raby again, but I do think with this pitching staff, and I mentioned it there in my conversation with Tim Corbin, is that there are there's no A-plus top ten pick on this staff right now. There's a, there's more A-minus. Top ten MLB draft pick. Yes. There's not, now, a, there's not a David Price that you say right now is what David – not what David Price was in college, although one of these guys could become sure. whatever. But there's nobody on this staff that's just unhittable. Right. Uh, Kumar Rocker may end up being a top ten pick. I could certainly see that, but he's a freshman, so that's right. two years away. You know, uh, there's a lot of A-minus. All four starters are A-minus pitchers. There's not an A-plus. And I say that because – if you're facing another A minus pitcher or a B plus or, pitcher, or an A pitcher, yeah, you're you're you could get beat, and you can't have an outing like Raby and expect to win. So you know, if you have if you have two of those, you're done. Yeah, and I've, I've cut my teeth in the SEC, so I've seen these scenarios play out in regionals before, and and you're playing Ohio State in, in the first round, and I have not looked at Ohio State and scouted. But they probably got a good ace. Yeah. Every, you don't get to the regionals even if you don't have a good ace. What kind of separates you is do you have a good two and a good three, and do you have a reliever that that can bail you out? But I have seen – I can't remember all the – I've seen like a Harvard team go into a regional, and they had that one pitcher, yep. and they won the first game. Well, that puts you in the loser's bracket. And then almost anything can happen. It's crazy things can happen. I mean, you can think of different scenarios and where, especially if you hold out your number one and say, "Well, we should beat them without our number one." Yeah, we'll that's save always our a number one. I, that, I've seen more think? coaches bitten by that. I think that's what happened to LSU the year that Stony Brook won there, yep. won their regional, and Stony Brook's been sent back down to out Baton Rouge, and they're in a panic mode because who wouldn't be scared of Stony Brook coming to town? But <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, if Stony Brook's there, they probably got a good ace, yep. you know. And if and if your number one is really good, you can beat. It can be a two to one game, a one sure. to nothing game, an unearned run. Your, your pitcher could pitch great, and if their pitch is great, also. And then you've got you know like an Indiana State, I think, coming to the regional this week. If I Larry if, if Bird, I remember right, yeah, that's right, Larry Bird. They have Larry Bird. <laughs> uh, if I remember right, they've got maybe they don't have A minuses, but they got some B B plus. They have some depth in their pitching staff, mm-hmm. and so that's a situation where maybe if you do drop one, you're playing them in the third game. They have a pretty good number three. So there's some depth in pitching with with teams like that, or you know you may run into like uh, you know Tennessee Tech the last few years would just put up 15 runs on somebody mm-hmm. they couldn't pitch but they could out hit right. anybody and you get those teams in college baseball yep, that are, you that are built around do. that that maybe they just couldn't go get that guy that everybody wanted but their pitchers you know 
their pitchers are not as good as their hitters, but they can keep them. You know, if they, if they can keep you to single digits, they might have a chance. And the thing about those mid-major teams that can really hit the ball, they don't really care that you have a top ten pick on the mound. No, they feel like they can hit anybody, and they usually can. Right, and and if they break through somewhere. And you know, maybe maybe you sit them down for four straight innings. They don't get discouraged by that a lot of times. Yep. Unless you manage to put up ten runs yourself in that span. So I will say, I think Vandy. I think Vandy has a better. Uh, they're a they're a better fit to win a regional than a super. Now they're a good fit to win either because they're, they're the odds two on, seed in the country. Let's yep. not. There's no no poor poor Vandy here. And Vegas Vegas has Vandy. Uh, I believe I saw last night the odds on favorite to win the whole thing, and that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, looking at you, I mean, there were only two teams I think that could have been the number one overall seed, and that was Vandy and UCLA. And I think there's a gap after that. At least just you know anybody can get hot. Don't get me wrong, but as far as you're you're picking the two, and UCLA just didn't open the door where Vandy could step through it, even winning the SEC regular season and the tournament, but. You can mix it. This this team is good enough to be a number one seed most any year. Sure, yeah, and and it's and again that's because pitching and hitting. I mean, and all that hit, matters is if you're top eight because that means you get to play at home in both yes. rounds before to to try to get to Omaha. You know, and if if you look at Vandy's pitching, uh, you know, I said they don't have an A plus pitcher necessarily. The depth of their staff is even more than than they've had at some other really good years. Drake Fellows, their number one, down to Mason Hickman, their, their number four, is almost the same guy. So, again, in a regional, or if you get to Omaha and you've got that, you know, basically the first the first half of Omaha is set up like a regional, you know, you can, you can roll out a guy who's that good as Mason Hickman as your number four and still have a pretty good bullpen, you're in good shape because most pitching staffs are going to drop off after about two or three. The hitting side of it, well, we just saw it in the in the championship game, Ole Miss. I mean, there's not – you know, I was sitting next to a couple of the Ole Miss beat riders, and when it got to about 9-3 or so, they were saying the same thing. Said, Vandy's going to win this. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think that? Because Ole Miss is out of pitching, and there's and not – And Vandy's not out of hitting. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and it's – you know, and in games like that, you look at the lineup and say, well – you can get through this inning because there's six, seven, eight, or there's seven, eight, nine hitters. Or Vandy doesn't have. There's not a place. There's not a place in their lineup where you say, "I think we can get that guy out." Um, Julian Infante is their number nine and, hitter. And, 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 let, and let me interrupt before yep. that. You're, you're, and keep going about the the lower end of that. But in the middle, the heart of the lineup, you also can't pitch around the best power hitter. In that's right. Yeah. Sometimes you get that guy who's a twenty home run guy. But the guy behind him can't protect him, That's so right. you know he's let him get himself out or either walk him. I mean, you you can look down the order. Austin Martin is a four twenty hitter, right? SEC batting champion. JJ Blade is maybe the best overall hitter in the country. Right, Blade is the best power hitter for sure in yep. the country. Leads and, the country, and you have runs. to pitch to him. Their best home run hitter last year was Stephen Scott, and he's number two, I think, this year. Um, Pat Demarco hit a home run the other day in the win against Ole Miss. He's phenomenal. Boy, I could I could really go all the way around the horn there with everybody. But Philip Clark had the game winning hit, and he's I think clean up right now. But if you go to the bottom of the order, Julian Infante, the first baseman, is their number nine hitter. Two years ago, before he hit a junior slump, he was their cleanup hitter. He was their best power hitter, and he's still a guy. He's got twenty seven, twenty eight career home runs, and he's your number nine. 
there's not there's right. not a spot in there to escape. Right, and he's a first baseman, which is usually a productive hitting yes. spot. You know, it's not like you're you're you don't have your punching Judy shortstop at the bottom of the line. Or I mean, they're they're on the verge of having as many as seven or eight three hundred hitters at any given time. Yeah. They, they've got about three guys that are around like two eighty five, two ninety. A real murderer's row. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. So, so I guess I say all that to say they can out pitch you because they have more depth than you until you get to Omaha. Some other teams have some good pitching, uh, and they're going to out hit just about anybody. And 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 the fact, the depth of hitting is that if this guy's not not doing it, we got three other guys just like him on the bench to bring off. That that's why it's so hard to beat them. And not to mention, well, you know, you look at every angle of a baseball team. Vandy's like number three or four in the country right now in fielding. There's just not a place for this team. It's hard to find a place for this team to lose. But we've laid out how that could happen. I, I don't I don't see it happening though. How, how do you see it as far as projecting? Uh, let's say they win the regional. The super regional will be in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, how does the other regional that they're paired with? Uh, uh, West Virginia uh, has. Which the, is very excited because they haven't hosted a regional in a long time. Yeah, and they would have to come. They would so have to like come the to Nashville. 50s or something. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not one that. Seventies. I don't know. It, anytime you have a team that is not has have an immense amount of NCAA tournament experience, uh, Vandy licks their chops on those types of games. Mm. You know, I remember the 2015 year uh, when Vandy would, went on the road for Super Regionals, went up to Illinois, and Illinois was hosting its first Super Regional. It's kind of a similar situation. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, we got it. This is our year. And Vandy went in there and just mowed them down. Right. And it, you very much got the sense from the first pitch that there's one team here that expects to keep going and there's one team here that hopes to keep going right. and i think that's maybe what you would have if it is a west virginia it could be somebody else in that right. out of that regional but maybe at home has been almost unbeatable yeah. this year the one thing that you do have there with a the west virginia that you traditionally might not have since they're in the big 12 now they've seen good pitching i mean yes. they're playing a lot of games against texas teams and uh, you know, surprised there's good high school recruits in Texas <laughs> who can throw lefties, righties, you know, they, they will not, regardless of what would happen, they would not walk in and see Vandy's pitching and say, God, we, I don't even know what you do with that. I've never seen one of those. That's right. The Pac-12, or I'm sorry, the Big 12 good is, baseball conference. Is, is comparable to the SEC. It's not, it's not there, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Uh, and it's been better in some past years. Uh, top of the Pac-12, all of the Big 12 and all the SEC, is, mm. that's where you get a lot of your best right. college baseball. That's why I'll be interested to see Ohio so all State. The, all the atmosphere of a Super Regional, the pressure of a Super Regional, should they get there, would be new to them. Seeing good pitching and good hitting would not be – they would not look at Vandy and say, Man, how, how do you hit a 92-mile-per-hour? You know, yeah, they've seen it. Yeah, okay. I, I figured that out against Texas, and I figured the other one out against Texas Tech. I, that doesn't mean they beat Vandy, but they would not just – be blown away with the idea. And of what see, Vandy I think has. that's what makes Ohio State interesting because they're, I, I'm they, not. They don't see that, right? And certainly not regularly, right? Um, there is a difference between seeing it a few times a year and seeing it every single weekend, mm-hmm. like you would in the SEC. The Big Ten is still coming along baseball wise. I, I do think there is a chip on the shoulder approach, probably even more so with the Big Ten than what you get with a mid major so, some years because. That's the perception that Big Ten can't play baseball. Right. And so I think Ohio State will come in with a little bit of that. 
And Van Vandy really can't manufacture that. You can't. Right. You can't. Oh boy, we've been disrespected all year. <laughs> you right. know how how dare they overlook Van? You're the number two overall seed. You won the SEC. You won the SEC tournament, and that didn't surprise anybody. So, so you got to motivate yourself differently to play up to expectations rather than to prove people wrong. Yeah, I thought that if prove people if, right, if Vandy found a ran into a pitfall, I thought it would be. But what if they lose an early game they didn't intend to because they've won twenty two out of twenty three going to the NCAA tournament? Mm-hmm. What if you lose? And that's why I thought we would see if they had lost the SEC championship game. The fact that they were down seven to nothing and then nine to one and won that thing. I think they come out of it saying, "I don't, I don't think anybody's going to beat us." Yeah, now, somebody down the line could. Yeah, but. somebody shakes your confidence. You don't, you only have a less, maybe less than twenty four hours to yep. to get yourself right. So I do want to ask one more question, sure. Adam. Um, we've talked pitching depth. We've talked hitching, hitting depth. We haven't talked whistling depth. <laughs> and uh, you know that's that's something. To, if you're Vandy, do you send one of your whistlers to the other first round game? To get in those teams is that? Oh boy, you could manipulate uh, the bracket that yeah. way, right? Hadn't thought about that. You, you do have two whistlers. Yeah, so if you, you only can... have one whistler, obviously you want them at their game. But this is a this is a decision Corb's got to make you, that that other teams don't really have to make. You know, in the cadence of the two whistlers, Preacher Franklin, Jeff Pack. If people so, haven't seen one of them, more of a daytime whistler, one of them more of a nighttime. One of them is uh, Preacher Franklin is. Um, his is more erratic mm-hmm. and it's throughout the game. Uh, Jeff Pax is uh, there's more mind-numbingly constant. Right. And those that don't know the difference between the two, when you wa- if you watch if you watch the SEC tournament games where those guys are hated, Jeff Pack is the one that is shown most frequently on those broadcasts. Preacher Franklin actually had been shown, I think, just as much maybe in the World Series year when those guys were threatened to be kicked out of the stadium. And, and then there's also when you're playing, you put them on opposite sides and everything to get kind of a stereo effect. Well, well, you know, what you do is you put, like if you said you, you, you do one for the early game, you do one for the early game, and then that cadence is in their mind, and suddenly they go to the second game, it's a different cadence. What, Whoa. what is, what is this? Ad- that's an adjustment. I know, it is. So, you know, it's, it's, or what if you bring one out of the pen in the seventh <laughs> inning you know it's, the other team's starting to rally you know you you, you, know, you, you hold know, up one finger or something you know a funny thing happened in hoover i obviously know both of these guys have written a few stories on them and the so the uh jeff pack the one that people saw the most on the broadcast he has a certain cadence to his and during one of the games i would hear his whistle and then i would hear an echoed whistle of that same cadence after him. I thought, whoa, what is, has he brought a ringer with him, you know, to kind of add to it? Like got a mockingbird in the neighborhood? Well, or what it was, if I understand correctly, it was the other whistler, Preacher Franklin, mimicking, echoing. Wow. The, the other, each whistler was mimicking the other. So it just blew my mind. That's a curveball, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and it, wow. You know, Pe- I, you're not allowed to use artificial whistlers. You have to use real <laughs> vocal whistlers, right? You know, and if people, I get a lot of emails, obviously, some that support the whistlers, uh, some Vandy fans that absolutely hate them, say their ears bleed and all kinds <laughs> of uh, profanity about them. Um, but I will say um, the LSU players were asked after the semifinal, were asked a question, what do you think about the whistlers? Both of them kind of got a grimace on their, fo- both on their face, both players, and just said stone face, no comment. I'm not commenting, and it, it bothered them. Yeah. So, 
Good. That works. Yeah, right? I've been to, I've been to high school like like postseason before where they would do like a little tiny high school where they would take the like the coffee can and put beans in it yeah. and shake them. <laughs> you know, I wonder if that's a lot. I guess that's artificial. It's artificial. So. They're real beans. They're not fake beans. This is true. You yeah, know, you could you have to get a ruling on that. Anyway, a lot of whistling, a lot of baseball uh, in Nashville this week over at Vanderbilt, and and yeah, hey, if you're one of these, hey, I, I want major league. Uh, Baseball in, in Nashville, well, there's some major league talent on that Vandy team, so I would definitely check it out. This could be a definitely a contender, could be a national championship team. All right, so uh, until, I guess, next week, next edition, uh, if this is a longer run, we'll certainly be on uh, here frequently. We'll break down the doors. We'll see you.